Welcome to the Arate Podcast, the podcast created to help senior executives and the organizations they lead live up to their full potential. Join us for cutting-edge interviews with leading senior executive and board members across all industry sectors and for practical tips to accelerate your executive career. And now, here's your host, Richard Triggs. Well, Leanne, welcome to the podcast. Fantastic to uh, have you along on what is, uh, I think, the first day of winter in Australia. Uh, not too chilly up here in Brisbane, although apparently it is going to get down to seven degrees tonight. Oh, Richard, it's a delight, <laughs> a delight to be here. And for once, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, I was actually thinking it was a great time to be in Brisbane, but uh, clearly you're heading in the same direction that Sydney <laughs> with a winter blast. So oh, I'll, I'll stay tight. <laughs> we're, we're, we don't mind having two or three cold weeks a year just to keep us uh, keep us on our toes. So, Leanne, um, just to get the conversation started, um, tell us a little bit about what you're doing professionally at the moment. Uh, I wear two hats at the moment. Uh, one, which is my what I what I lo- fondly call my day job, which is uh, as the managing director for uh, IHG or Intercontinental Hotels Group, and I look after a portfolio of ten countries uh, across Japan, everything from Japan across Micronesia, Polynesia, the Pacific region, down across Australia and New Zealand. So uh, that keeps me on my toes traveling all over the place, which is quite exciting. Uh, The second uh, hat that I wear is that uh, I'm very grateful to have the opportunity to lead the uh, currently what is the Accommodation Association of Australia uh, in the role of chair or president. And uh, as we go into an amalgamation, where for the first time ever, we're bringing together uh, the Accommodation Association and TAA, which is a branch of AHA. Uh, and we're amalgamating those associations to become one. So uh, I have the delight of leading that amalgamation and will take the chair role on for the initial period uh, once we amalgamate. Well, you've got so many uh, three-letter acronyms in your career. <laughs> <laughs> the SBP of IHG, as well as working for what is it, TAA, which is actually, I think the AA becomes quite appropriate when you throw all those together. So, talking IHG first, so where's um, so you're looking after um, essentially Asia Pack, um, where's the parent company based? Uh, we have two uh key offices. We're actually a British PLC, so a UK PLC, uh, with uh, our home base based up in a place called Denham, which is just out of uh, London. Right. And uh, But we have a strong base also up in the US. So we're actually listed on two stock exchanges, both the US Stock Exchange and the UK, but fundamentally we're a UK-based organisation. And out of the entire portfolio of properties, what percentage of those that you look after? Oh, I look after a very small percentage of those, but a very important percentage. <laughs> well, it sounded, it sounded very significant. So they must, how many um, do they have? Got we've, got, we've got over 6,000 hotels worldwide. So, uh, uh, yeah, so we, and we actually section up our company and our organization in three parts. One is the Americas. Yeah. Uh, the second region is what we call uh, Europe, Middle East, Asia, and Africa, uh, which takes up, which includes my region. And then, of course, Greater China, which is right. an independent region in its own right. 
And with inside, uh, here's another acronym for you, EMEA, uh, we have my sub-region, which is JPEG. And I've got a portfolio of about 150 hotels, either open or in the pipeline. Well, and what's the uh, combined headcount in your portfolio? Gosh, well, uh, I've got uh, two corporate offices, which are a couple of hundred uh, people, but across the hotels, it's about 10,000 people that uh, work uh, in the in my region. And I imagine uh, the COVID period would have been very challenging for you. And also now that, you know, the challenge of coming out of COVID, particularly in relation to accessing staff, right? <laughs> yes, uh, that is the thing that keeps me awake at night, uh, right. no doubt. So uh, during COVID, or, although from a corporate standpoint, we were in a really positive position and we actually only had to, leave, to let go probably about 25% of our uh, staffing, which um, comparatively was actually quite a low number. It, it's, it was a horrific time to say the least and something that I never want to go through again. Letting, letting go good people is something yeah. you never want to face into doing. Um, uh, but from a hotel standpoint, we lost and our turnover rates were absolutely phenomenal. You know, we lost thousands of, of people across the border. At one point in time, we were down 40% uh, that we had to let go across Australasia alone. A bit different in Japan because they have a um, very much a lifetime job culture and they uh -huh. got, got a lot of subsidies, uh, even more subsidies than here uh, to retain people. But certainly down here, it was, it was just decimating uh, to our industry, um, which was a very, very sad time. Even with the subsidies that we received from government, we had to mm. make tough choices. Fundamentally, we had nobody coming into our hotels at all. So, uh, yeah, I really would like to not go through that again. <laughs> I think many people share that sentiment, Leanne. Uh, and, no and what about the Accommodation Association? Tell us a little bit more about that. So the Accommodation Association has been uh, uh, in place for 54-odd years. Uh, we represent members from everything from uh, your small-time regional uh, hotel or motel uh, or even camping ground with cabins uh, right through to the uh, larger PLC companies like myself or Accor, et cetera. So... Um, we have a very, very diverse membership, actually, and we also uh, represent um, timeshare uh, resorts as well underneath uh, our association. Okay. Um, and uh, we have a strong council uh, that uh, are in place. It's a uh, national board that I sit on and chair, and we each have state committees that support us and run us. And our fundamental reason for being is really the advocacy of our members to ensure that we're front and centre when it comes to government uh, spending and certainly uh, our advocacy to ensure that our members are looked after across any policies that are being rolled out. So that's a key component to it. The second arm actually of what we do in AA or AAOA <laughs> is, um, shouldn't say AA, uh, is, uh, is we actually have a program where we are creating, creating jobs and roles and uh, implementing training programs, working very, very closely with the government to support um, uh, workers long-term unemployed, et cetera, to come into the workforce okay. and also school workers, et cetera. So we actually run those programs and do placements into our hotels for our members. So obviously in these critical times when, as you were talking about, we aren't 
uh, we are all challenged with having uh, staffing issues, then uh, our ability to come in and try and support our members by uh, delivering them these programs have been quite critical. So uh, two arms. And, and within the accommodation association um, business, or perhaps, you know, once it's been through this amalgamation, in terms of actual headcount within the business, how many people are working uh, within the association? Uh, right now, paid, and I need to say this right. because uh, uh, there's an awful lot of people who do a lot of work, i.e. myself and my higher <laughs> council, uh, that do it for the love of our industry. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I couldn't even tell you how many people that is because there's numerous councils that sit there. But from a paid um, standpoint, there's about 25 staff members who run right. the, the training programs and platforms, the events or in some way, shape, or form, help us run the association on a day-to-day basis. Okay, fantastic. Well, let's come back to uh, you know talking about your uh, various hats. Uh, but uh, I'd be interested in going back and you know listening a little to your backstory. Obviously, I can hear from your accent. So, Kiwi. <laughs> yes, you can take the girl out of New Zealand, but you can never take the Kiwi out of the girl. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, uh, whereabouts in New Zealand were you born? I was born and and grew up in Auckland uh, right. for most of my, uh, well, certainly for my early days. Um, for my sins, when I was about 18 years old, I threw everything up in the air and said, bleep, bleep this, I'm off to go and work in bars down in Queenstown and have a great life, uh, you know, pouring beers uh, during the, the nighttime. And supposedly I was going to ski during the day. Oh, yeah. So okay. that was my, my my great brilliance, and I thought, <laughs> wow, I can earn money at night and uh, and then ski during the day. But uh, interestingly enough, I didn't get a lot of skiing. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and uh, and that fundamentally was the start of my career with inside the hospitality industry. Um, and uh, I found that I absolutely loved what I did, and uh, it really started me on the journey of uh, from bartender to managing director. What sort of uh, uh, what sort of work did your parents do? Oh, completely different. Right. <laughs> My father uh, is a car dealer, so okay. uh, so deep down inside, I'm a rev head. I do right. like to, do like to hear listen to the roar of a good V8. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know I don't think that's politically correct at the moment. No, uh, maybe not. Going with um with electric vehicles and so forth, but uh, I do like that purr. Right. Um, uh, and uh, my mother was in marketing, so neither in the hospitality industry. Okay, and uh, and so uh, as you said, you went down to Queenstown, started uh, you know pouring beers and uh, and having fun, and then how did things unfold from there? Really, it's been a matter of um, of me taking step by step journeys through the through and up through the ranks in in hotels. Right. So uh, yeah, and I've moved a lot during that that period of time. So literally, you know, taking on different frontline roles in a hotel, learning how to uh, you know be a concierge or a cost controller, or, or particularly particularly in food and beverage uh, was my predominant background at the beginning. Um, and then I flipped across at one point in time and started working into sales and marketing. And uh, and once I'd made that shift, that's really when my career took off and I started to um, take on roles with inside a corporate environment. Uh, and that was once I actually came into, well, actually, no, I went off and did a few hotels where I was a, a director of sales and marketing on property. So 
Vietnam, Tahiti, uh, across Australia. Uh, really a fantastic opportunity to go and see the world, which is one of the reasons why I really love the hospitality industry is where else do you get to actually travel the world, experience different cultures and get paid to do it? I mean, wow. Uh, unless you, you uh, if you're happy to kill people, you do it in the armed forces, I suppose. Yeah, well, there, there you go. I, I think mine's a much safer, safer option. Maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I, I certainly look at your background. I mean, uh, you've, you've worked in some uh, wonderful places. Um, Perth as well, and obviously, um, yes. and then back to Sydney. Uh, yes. So um, has Australia, you know, is it just the next destination on an ongoing travelling career? Or is this for you? <laughs> Have you put that red seat out? Uh, look, I've well and truly ensconced myself in Australia. I've bought a house. Right. I've- you know, chopped off my arm and my leg to do so, but yeah. uh, <laughs> mortgage myself up to the eyeballs as you do when you own a house in Sydney. But um, yes, look, uh, it's a very hard thing when you've lived in, you know, however many countries I've lived in now, I think it's about 14 cities and nine countries, um, to to try and tie a global nomad down, right? It's my husband and I often wax lyrical about where home or where retirement actually will be. Um, and I'm not quite sure I can get my head around staying in one place for a very long time. But uh, when it comes to having a passport, when it comes to setting down roots and having a home or a home base, it's definitely Australia. Sydney, right. Northern, Northern Beaches for now. Fair enough. And uh, looking at your LinkedIn profile, it, it's evident that your responsibilities have grown over time as you've, you've moved you know, through these various roles. But, um, I mean, obviously going from running and pouring bars to now, you know, managing thousands and thousands of people, you know, what, what, have, you, what have you done during that period from a, an education point of view in, in building out your leadership capabilities? Have you gone and done formal education or has it been programs run through your employers or have you just learned on the, on, you know, uh, on the ground? It's been a mixture. And look, I, I've never had a tertiary qualification. So, uh, uh, and again, this is one of those few industries, I think, where we, uh, where gra- boots on the ground experiences actually counts for a lot. Um, thank goodness uh, for me, uh, because, you know, I do get to sit in this chair without that. Uh, in saying that doesn't mean to say I don't think it's a great thing. I actually think it's an important part of uh, people's own personal journeys. Um, for me, uh, as I as I uh, went up the corporate ladder and I felt the need to learn a particular thing, um, I would embark on either an internal training program through through each of the companies that I've worked for, uh, which um, luckily with the large corporations that I've worked for, we have particularly IHG, we have a really extensive uh, program. We work with places like eCornell, so you can do online courses to continue to further your education. Um, So even right now, when I came into this managing director's role, uh, I took on right up front I, I undertook a real estate, um, a hospitality real estate and asset management course through eCornell just to ensure that I continued to grow my own knowledge and my own experience base. So that's more from a technical side of things, certainly from sales and marketing, I've undertaken various courses along the way. Um, and that 
I'm for me, it's situational. I'm I, I have an attention span of an ant, and so <laughs> so uh, for me, which is why I never particularly liked school and didn't go to university. But for me, I need to see a relevance of what I'm learning and be able to connect it to what I'm doing on a day to day basis. And when I once once I can do that, uh, it's boots all in in you know boots and all. So uh, I that's how I've personally learned along my own journey. Um, probably the biggest thing for me, though, has been about um, educating myself on leadership. And I always say that you can teach technical skills really easily, but getting somebody to a point when they're an exceptional leader really takes a lot of energy and a lot of time. And uh, you can't underestimate um, either business coaching, personal coaching, or even mentoring to help you along on that journey. And those are the particular skills certainly I look for when I'm looking for um, a senior leader uh, in my business is I'm looking for leadership skills over and above functional uh, qualifications and functional skills. Mm -hmm. And have there been any pivotal moments from you in terms of from a leadership perspective uh, that you could highlight from your career? You'd say to a you know, in this situation, this was, you know, a, uh, a big step change for me. Yeah, there has been a number of different points. When I first went from uh, being in a hotel and in a team on a property to my first um, big leap into a corporate, a corporate career role, um, I personally really struggled. Uh, and I thought, and particularly, you know, this is going back, gosh, about 14, 15 years ago. So thank goodness times have changed. But there was very much an element of me thinking that I needed to be tough and uh, to put take away any of my feminine side or any of those female qualities that that actually I quite rely on now. Um, and because it was very much more 15 years ago, it was very much an extremely male-dominated environment. Um, I came in, you know, all guns are blazing and trying to be a bit of a tough you know, a, a tough cookie and um, uh, really, uh, you know, a, a really challenging uh, leader. And uh, that was a real opportunity for me to learn that actually uh, I to use vulnerability, to use uh, the the softer side of, of myself and actually use that to an advantage. So that was a that probably was my biggest pivotal moment for me. Uh, I undertook a business coach. I've had a number of business coaches over the years, but that was my first business coach. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's no doubt in my mind she changed my changed me both from a um, leadership standpoint, but also personally as well. It was a, a big aha moment. Um, yeah, look, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I've had coaches probably consistently for 20 years now. Um, you know, and you different coaches will suit a different period of your life and different challenges you're facing. And, uh, but, um, I find it amazing when I talk to CEOs and I say, oh, you know, have you, I now I know that they are being coached because I actually introduce them to their coach, but I, <laughs> but I have them on the podcast. I say, oh, so I'd be interested, you know, um, uh, have you ever had a coach? No, I've never had a coach. <laughs> <laughs> it's always like this. Clearly, that coaching's not working well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, admission of weakness, you know, oh, there must be something wrong with me if I then coach. But uh, uh, just to go back to a, a comment you made there, you know, 15 years ago, you felt in order to succeed, you needed to, you know, be a tough, you know, masculine leader. Um, 
15 years later and you said, oh, thank goodness times have changed. Do you think they really have? Yeah, I do. I do. I absolutely do. Um, are we there where we need to be yet? Absolutely not. We've still got a long way to go. But right. we are certainly not in the position that we were uh, 15 years ago. Uh, there, there's no doubt in my mind. I mean, it just just the environment that we work in of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable on a day-to-day basis, uh, either in the way that we speak or the way that we act, uh, um, that wasn't around uh, 15 years ago. I can tell you some horror stories, which uh, are not for a podcast. <laughs> I, uh, I, I have my own, I started my career in the construction industry and ah. boy, 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 the stuff that used to go on. But Oh, look, I definitely agree it's changed in that regard. You know, yeah. um, we need to be much more uh, considered about, you know, how we conduct ourselves at work and um, inclusiveness and all of, you know, the, those things. But in terms of, you know, I obviously work a lot with CEOs yeah. across a whole range of industries. You know, I, I can't say I've really seen a substantive change in the way CEOs conduct themselves, mm. whether they're male or female. Gosh. That's, right. Maybe that's just my experience. Come and hang out with me. Yeah, I will. <laughs> yeah, no, I look forward to it. <laughs> and so that was so that was uh that was a pivotal moment 15 years ago. It was. And and what about what about more recently? Yeah, look, there's been a number of times. I, I think I'm very blessed of the fact that I've worked in multiple cultures, and I think that's been a massive opportunity for me to learn and to hone my leadership skills, uh, particularly as I do now where I literally, um, you know, have everything from French Polynesia across to Japan and Micronesia and Saipan and Guam. Um, and I say that because, you know, there was a time uh, I was uh, in a in a similar role, uh, uh, slightly more junior, but in a similar role running Southeast Asia uh, a, a few years ago. And we went through the Bangkok bombing and uh, literally the bomb went off outside my office and I was sitting in the office at the time and it was 7.05 p.m. I still remember it. And uh, uh, it, that was devastating. I literally went running downstairs outside in the front. Our office was next to a hotel outside and there was just carnage everywhere. Um, the post element of that as we we had to deal with that uh, and deal with everything that else was going on at the time uh, and the many challenging environment times that we had up in, while living in Thailand. Um, my, I, I, I had a huge learning in the fact that, and I think this is where I come back to the fact that things times have changed and I think leadership has changed, is because the way you lead through times like that you, is you have to wrap your arms around people. You have to become very much more of looking at your team as your family and you can't lead ties the way that you lead Australians. You can't lead Japanese mm-hmm. the way that you lead, you know, Australians or Kiwis and so forth. And they need different things from you as a leader at different points in time. The tough, the tougher Leanne, that certainly when I'm in there driving performance and trying to, you know, take us to the next level of of um, a performance component is not the person of the leader, the leader that 
you know, when their king dies and they're all needing to go outside and pray at, at, mm. um, at or, you know, literally sit there in tears in your office, um, uh, you have to have that ability to pivot and become vulnerable and open yourself up. And so that for me was another pivotal moment in my, um, in my leadership journey. And it's, it really came down to just the vulnerability and the, the, um, ability to really pivot your leadership style on a dime. Mm. And I imagine you must also have some of that same sense in terms of, you know, leading uh, in your SVP role uh, as compared to being the voluntary chair of an industry association. Uh, Probably requires two fairly uh, different kind of leadership styles as well, I imagine. Oh my gosh, yes. And, I, and to be honest, that's an interesting element because I'm used to just getting stuff done, right. <laughs> which you can't quite do when you're uh, running an association, right? Not at the pace that you're used to doing when you're running a PLC. So uh, it's a much more collaborative environment. It's certainly, you know, you're not making the decisions, your council is making the decisions. Your role there is to shepherd the association through your role is to give counsel and and to try and support the council to get to the end journey. But it is, uh, you are representing your members and your members are driving what Mm. the requirement is of the association versus in a PLC, obviously, where I'm sitting there looking at what what is right for our owners and right for our company and right for our colleagues and trying to balance all of those stakeholders uh, across the board. But becoming probably a little bit more directive than what you do when you're in an association. So they are definitely two different skills. <laughs> <laughs> well, have, having uh, had the opportunity to uh, spend a short period of time with your entire board, uh, or <laughs> the majority of them anyway, there's, uh, there's, there's some strong personalities there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's, uh, I do enjoy a very large glass of wine after our counseling meetings. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And so, you know, obviously, you know, talking now, middle of 2022, coming out of the back, hopefully, of, of COVID, you know, so obviously we're aware of, you know, the, the challenges that faced your sector um, during COVID and now, you know, gearing up to, you know, open borders, et cetera, from a staffing point of view. But if you look out to the future, Firstly, what are you excited for in terms of IHG? And then secondly, what are you excited for in terms of the association? Mm. Um, from an IHG standpoint, I'm just unbelievably excited about our growth period that we're going through right now. Um, even in amongst COVID, we've been opening hotels. Well, we just opened another hotel this week, literally. So we're doing double-digit growth uh, across our region. And that, quite frankly, is exciting um, for our owners because they're opening new hotels, um, for IHG because we're opening new brands and bringing brands into market, but also because we're creating a career platform and a pathway for our colleagues so that they can see a future with inside the industry. So I'm particularly um, excited about that growth opportunity across our region. Yeah. Um, from a uh, industry standpoint, there's a couple of things that I'm really excited about. The, the growth factor across our industry actually is quite exciting at this point in time. You know, we're really opening some fantastic hotels, not just um, IHG, but also 
you know, my colleagues and peers in their own um, business units are, are also opening some pretty amazing uh, hotels. So I can see our industry is really starting to take leaps and bounds into a, a new era of um, uh, the accommodation industry. Um, I'm particularly excited about the fact that people are out there and traveling again. And I'm delighted that, you know, one thing out of COVID that struck me was that as soon as they could, and as soon as people could travel again, they immediately went out there and got on the road. And they supported our industry by going out and staying at regional properties and regional hotels. And although business struggled, the business travel struggled, certainly people wanted to travel, you know, by nature of the fact that we're at the other end of the world here in Australia and New Zealand, we, we are a, you know, a, a, um, a country of travellers, either be it domestic or be it international. And uh, we have that opportunity to, to create some amazing hospitality experiences for those people uh, when they're travelling again. So I'm delighted to see that people have been supporting us as soon as they could. You know, the industry is bouncing back and we're seeing now business travel starting to come through again. And I think we have an opportunity as an industry to do things differently like we've never done before. And I, I see that COVID has made us, we're a very traditional industry. You know, we've been around for you know, however many years back in the days where, you know, apparently there was a manger and uh, some <laughs> that was going on. Right. So, uh, so, so it's not the world's oldest profession, but uh, no, uh, it second, might, might be second oldest, right? Second, second oldest profession. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we are very, very traditional in our thinking. And um, COVID has really given us a bit of a kick up the derriere and right. made us think about things differently. And I, I'm really excited to see that because it's an industry that I'm, absolutely passionate about and absolutely love uh so it's time for us to attract the next generation to come and work with us and uh yeah to, to rebuild our industry so. so so what's an example of new innovation that you're so excited about Oh, gosh. And I'm going to pick on uh, IHG because it's near and dear to my heart, obviously. But for instance, we've rolled out a program called MyFlex, which is a program where uh, you as uh, an individual can turn around and go and sign on uh, to work with Crown Plaza Coogee, for instance, and you can turn around and, you know, become a team member of, of that hotel. What that what you can do then, though, is you can actually, through an app, go and bid for shifts in different hotels in different locations. Okay. So you can turn around as Joe, Joe or Josephine blogs and uh, go, actually, I think I'm going to go and work in Hayman Island for a couple of months. And you can bid to go up in Hayman Island and do a couple of months up there or Hotel Indigo down in uh, Adelaide and go and work for there for a couple of months. So, gosh, I wish something like that was around when I was, you know, pouring my pints down in Queenstown. I would have probably not settled down, unfortunately. So maybe it <laughs> right. And, and what about, what about from the customer side? So that's sort of a, from the employee side. What are some what are some innovations from a a traveller perspective? Yeah, look, again, that's probably where we have been particularly traditional. We we do get quite smart every now and then, and we think as we build new hotels, we're going to do fancy light fittings that none of us can work out how to switch on or switch off from <laughs> on the wall. And we, we try to get ahead of ourselves from a technology standpoint. 
Um, fundamentally, we're based on hospitality and we're based on that experiences yeah. that we, we deliver. So I'm delighted to see that, that that will still continue to remain. What's probably the innovation that you're seeing change is the fact that people do want contactless check-in. You know, they do want to be able to go straight up through to their room and not have to worry about, you know, checking in at a front desk or so forth. Mm -hmm. um, and that's probably the biggest innovation that we've had come through uh, at the moment. So it is, you know, do I ever see us having robots running around, uh, you know, serving everybody their uh, breakfast across the board? Sure, we've seen that in a couple of hotels where it's a bit of a gimmick, but you know, I really want to have a chat with the guy as he delivers my coffee still. So I'm, I'm delighted to see that actually that traditional side of our industry still stays. Very good. I couldn't agree with you more. I just went on holidays uh, with my kids to Cairns for a week and uh, it was fantastic to see how busy it was up there. And there's some beautiful new hotels up there now. Oh, okay. we, we stayed at one and, uh, yeah, very, very uh, nice to get back into a hotel and, and be, get some great service. Yeah. Um, one of the other things I know from your LinkedIn profile, Leanne, you're a member of Chief Executive Women. Yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yes. Um, look, I've been a member of them for a couple of years. Unfortunately, I started right before um, right before uh, COVID hit. So, um, and I was very uh, grateful to uh, sit with, I don't know if you've had a chance to see, but there's some pretty powerhouse ladies yeah, right. in that uh, Chief Executive Woman group. Um, uh their sole purpose for being uh, is really to create a platform to support women in their careers, particularly to get into C-suite uh, opportunities. And then once they really champion um, diversity, equality uh, and uh, uh, inclusion across the board. So um, we, I personally use them from a networking standpoint. So it's a great opportunity, you know, something that we've, traditionally probably not been great at uh, as women and leaders is that networking component we don't probably go out into the golf courses quite so much or you know certainly in my industry sit in the bar at you know uh, which at the end of the day so having the ability to be able to connect in and use our network has been absolutely fantastic and just open doors uh, between uh, the CW um, women uh, there's a huge amount of programs and a great lot of work they do about pay equity, about, you know, speaking up and having conversations about uh, unconscious bias, uh, et cetera, and um, uh, what's acceptable and unacceptable into workplace. They're creating platforms uh, for all of our members to be able to use and tools for uh, commencing conversations in our workplaces. So, really proud to be part of um, CEW and uh, it's something that um, is uh, I have full intent of using more now that we can actually get out yeah. and, about and meet up and and so forth so oh, that's excellent I've had uh, quite a number of um, members of CEW on the podcast oh, including, including Eric Ferris who uh, was running um, in, in Brisbane or Queensland, and now she's been replaced by another lady whose name escapes me, but she's been on the podcast as well. So, yeah, I think, I think it's a fantastic organisation. And uh, as you say, there's, uh, you know, the the uh, the group of people who are involved in it are truly, Ooh. you know, representative of the, the top leaders in Australia. Yeah, totally. If you were ever going to have imposter syndrome, you have a look on that site. <laughs> 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 All right, so before we wrap it up, uh, Leanne, we've spoken about business and about the industry you're involved in and your history and so on. Tell us a little bit about 
you when you're not at work? What are the kind of things you like to get up with to uh, keep the petrol tank full? Oh, my gosh. Uh, I used to love going skiing and then I was uh, hot-dogging it way too much speedily down a mountain and blew that up. So uh, that's been put on the back burner. Now I have a tendency to do things a little bit more quietly and uh, I'm an absolute yoga buff. So uh, Right. And um, uh, in fact, was up bright and early at 6 a.m. this morning doing my hot yoga in a class and okay. absolutely love that. Um, but I do like to say that I, I can't be um, uh, too sanctimonious because I do also like really good red wine. So I think <laughs> I, think I have an extremely balanced lifestyle. <laughs> in, in fact, I'm sure I've seen a video of the yoga that you do whilst you're drinking wine. <laughs> <laughs> haven't quite made it to that yet, but uh, I'll put it on my list of things things to do. So, uh, so yes, and and you know, I have to say, travel is my thing. Right? I just it, at every opportunity, I will, which is why, particularly the last two and a half years were particularly mm. tough for me. I used to used to travel two or three weeks a month, and uh, I'm just getting back into that, mm-hmm. and uh, I just delight, just delighted. That that's the thing that gives me my energy. No Seven. worries. Uh, where, so where is um, your next uh, holiday destination you're excited about going to? Ah, well, I'm off to Hobart for the weekend again, and you know how much I love Tasmania. It's yeah. my, my favourite spot. Um, but uh, I'm uh, heading up to the US in two weeks to go and attend a meeting in Washington, D.C., and I'm tagging on uh, a trip up to Toronto. I've never been up to Toronto. Okay. I've, got, uh, I've got family who are up there, so I'm... That's my next uh, little destination that I'm popping into that I've never been to before. Wonderful. Well, look, uh, Leanne, it's been a delight talking to you today. And uh, I'm uh, excited about uh, hearing about all these exciting new innovations, particularly in the staffing and recruiting space in hospitality. Um, It sounds like there's cool stuff going on there that could easily be uh, brought across into other industries. Um, but But for now, I appreciate your time and have a fantastic afternoon. Thanks, Richard. Much appreciated. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Arate Podcast with Richard Triggs. If you'd like a free copy of Richard Triggs' book, Uncover the Hidden Job Market, How to Find and Win Your Next Senior Executive Role, please visit uncoverthehiddenjobmarket.com to register your details. The Arate Podcast is brought to you by the Experts On Air Podcast Network.